All right. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 29, looking at verse 29. Uh, now, this was the, the last passage I got to preach on this semester with my students. And we were going through Exodus, and I was determined to get to Mount Sinai with them. Uh, but we fast forward to this, this verse, and it was a relief to them because we'd been covering large sections with lots of reading. Uh, but this morning, we're just going to be looking at this verse. And as you're turning to that, I just want to give you a quick update on, on how we're doing as a ministry and a family. Um, this fall was actually pretty good for us ministry-wise. Um, God was gracious to us in giving us a space to meet. And that wasn't something that we necessarily thought was going to happen. We were prepared to try and do our, our regular weekly meeting outside. Uh, but this was a year where the, the favor of the university, um, having a good relationship with certain people, helped us a great deal. We were able to meet in a very large room where we could space out um, and still sing and look at God's Word together. We had outdoor Bible studies. Uh, we were able to meet on campus and do discipleship like we normally would. And so uh, we even had some new students come, which personally I was not expecting. Uh, there were no activity fairs, no orientations, very little activity on campus. I had no idea where we were going to meet new people, um, but God was even gracious in that way. But I, I just would invite you to, to really pray for uh, our college students. It was a really hard semester for them. It was a hard semester for a lot of the faculty. Uh, both many of the faculty and the students did not enter into their professions and into, enter into their educations wanting to do online, uh, hybrid, back and forth. Um, it's, been, it's been difficult for them, and I think many students are living under the anxiety of not just their own health, but especially at KSU where people are living at home, bringing disease back to family and loved ones. Um, and so it's been a hard semester, I think, for students especially. Um, our family is doing well. Uh, we continue to grow, and our children are wonderful and a blessing. It's been a different year for us as uh, Kelly has been homeschooling the older two. The younger two have been going to a local preschool that has stayed open. Uh, and it's, it just has felt like a sweet season of growth for us. Um, we've enjoyed being together. It's been hard not to be able to practice as much hospitality as we normally would. Uh, we're, we're sad to hear some of the our older children will lament the fact that we're not having more students over, that we're not going to conference with other Georgia RUFs, and then our younger two will ask, what's a conference? And then we like cry on the inside. Um, so it's just, just as many of you have experienced a difficult, strange year, we too are navigating that, but it's, it's good to see God's goodness and provision in the midst of it. Um, like I said, this morning we're looking at Deuteronomy 29, 29, and uh, it was how we ended the semester uh, after uh, looking at Exodus together, but it's also one of my, my favorite verses to go to um, with students that are struggling in their faith, that um, have doubts and questions. Uh, I think it's a sweet place for us to be this morning. And so let me read this verse for us as we, we look at it together in worship, and then I'll invite you to join me in prayer um, that we would go to the throne of grace together, asking for God's blessing on our time together in his word. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Would you pray with me? 
Gracious Father, as we, we come to your word this morning with, with the privilege of worshiping that, that we have been taught in a new way this year to not take for granted, um, we know that you are honored and glorified in our singing, in our prayers, in our fellowship, and even and especially in our turning to your word and seeking to submit to your word and wrestle with your word. And especially this morning as we come to your word that speaks of your revelation, that reminds us of the power and the beauty of that revelation. God, would you give us healthy fear and respect and even a holy trembling as we step onto this sacred ground? And would you be at work through your spirit to press this, this word in deeper than just intellectual ascent into the depths of our heart, our hearts and, and our lives, um, that this would reverberate throughout all of the places where you have called us to serve among our families and our neighbors and our workplaces. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that, that some of you might know about me, if you know me, is that I love sharing. I love sharing food, which is unfortunate during this, this pandemic. Uh, I love sharing experiences and activities. I like trying new things. I like teaching others things I enjoy doing. And one of the challenges that I and others and, and perhaps you have faced when trying a new thing or trying to share experiences is communicating the knowledge necessary to either help someone do something for the first time or to progress in that. Uh, there's, there's many areas we could point to as examples of this. One of the ones that sticks out to me the most, and I think it's partly because of the nature of it, is if you've ever tried to teach someone to water ski or wakeboard or wake surf, any of those water sports where you get dragged behind a boat through the water, I think the dragging through the water kind of increases the element of, I'd really like you to be able to do this and not get dragged again. Um, and I, one of the hard things for me is I've had the chance to drive the boat sometimes and try and help those people is if you've got other people with you, as you often do in a, at the lake, Everybody on the boat, right, has an idea of how this person can avoid being dragged through the water again. So, and there's something about the nature of the boat going away and then swinging back around. And here's my chance to tell them what they need to know. And so the, the poor soul in the water is often bombarded, right, with like 10 things to keep in mind to get back up before they get dragged again. And they get dragged again oftentimes, right? And we're just longing. And if you've ever been the person in the water, right, just tell me like the one thing that I really need to know. Could you give me just one thing? I, I had a buddy in college that we, we still joke about it. He was on the golf team. We'd go play golf together. I'm very bad at golf. When I played with him, I'd be a little less bad at golf because he would always give me just one or two tiny specific things to work on. Sometimes he would just reach out and like move my head and for once the ball would go straight. Um, and we just long for that, don't we? And it should be no surprise to us that the God of the universe, who is above all things, who exists even outside of time, who is Yahweh, is the ultimate sage, teacher, ultimate carer for our souls, and that he knows exactly what his people need to hear when they need to, to hear it. That he's been revealing perfectly in perfect time in his way, according to his plan of redemption, what his people need to hear throughout history, as he's, he's revealed himself over time, leading all the way up until the perfect revelation of Jesus himself. And I think this is such a simple but beautiful truth that it's really kind of amazing that as 
the Israelites prepare to enter the promised land, and they have seen so many miracles. They've heard so many stories. An entire generation has been lost through rebellion in the wilderness, save for a few. That Moses could point to so many things, so many incredible things, as he encourages them to follow God as they go into the promised land, and yet he points to God's revelation itself. He reminds the people of Israel that the God of the Bible tells his people exactly what they need to follow him. And I think this morning there's actually an invitation for us to rest both in the things that God gives us and the things that God doesn't give us in his revelation. And so that's, that's what I'd like to do this morning is invite you to rest in the God who speaks. And I think the first thing that we can rest in or we should acknowledge that Moses points us to is that the secret things belong to the Lord, that we can actually rest in what God doesn't say. Um, And I think especially given the context of so many things that are happening in our culture, uh, this is one that we can't lose sight of, that there is beauty and even good news in the mystery of who God is. Now, one of the reasons I like to go to this verse with college students is, is if someone's struggling with their faith, or perhaps they're a skeptic who's just asking questions about Christianity, um, I think this simple verse points out one of the most philosophically and logically consistent parts of Christianity. That if God is God, it is necessarily true that there would be things that are mysterious and unknowable about him. It's necessarily true that he would not be able to exhaust his revelation of his infinite self when speaking to finite beings. Um, and I, I'll, I'll warn students, right? Like, if, if you think that the, the religion that's worth your faith uh, is, is a religion where you understand everything about that God, that God may not be big enough to hold up the world that you live in. Um, I think there's something beautiful about what Moses is pointing to here. And, and even, I don't know if you have friends or you yourself have struggled with the objections of, well, isn't there supposed to be mystery, right? Sometimes I'll even hear students be like, I'm not into organized religion or institutions because I believe in mystery, right? Like, what, what can we know if God is God? And yet, oftentimes, the fights for orthodoxy in Christian history have involved a fight for mystery. Um, I remember kind of my eyes being open the first time I heard a, a seminary professor really make a hard point about this, that and when we look back at the early battles of the church over heresies, it's the heresies that are often trying to remove the mystery of God, right? We have the incarnation of Jesus. Well, he can't really be fully man or fully God, can he? So we're going we're gonna to insist most of the time early on, right? He's, he's actually just God, like he only appeared to be a man. Um, he can't really have a human nature and a divine nature, can he? He couldn't really die on the cross, could he? There's so many mysteries of the faith that orthodoxy and theology and the, and the work of church fathers and and brothers and sisters who've gone before us has been to maintain the mystery of God's revelation and who God is. And that if we're not careful, sometimes our objections and our doubts can actually be be likened to our asking the sun to heat our planet and yet being mad that we can't get closer to it. It's good news that God is who he is and that he's above us. And there are things that we can't understand. And I think especially when we, we find ourselves in moments in history, in our lives, in culture, where there are things that we don't understand why God is allowing to happen. When we're struggling with how the, the, the current events fit with God's character and God's goodness. 
There's an invitation to rest in the mystery of God. To celebrate the fact that he is God and we are not. And it's so easy to overlook that, isn't it? It's so easy, I think, especially attempting the longer we follow Jesus, the longer we read our Bibles, the more we know that we can lose sight of that. That, that, that there's a temptation that for knowledge to, to, to puff up instead of bringing us into greater humility. Because I think the reality of so many of the mysteries of the faith, the beauty of God's word, is that, that if we're really grasping it and following it and growing closer to Jesus, the incarnation doesn't become less amazing, it becomes more amazing. The, the, the turning of God's wrath against the, his own son, the cross, should be more difficult for us to grasp as we wrestle with our sin and we consider God's holiness and his goodness. And so this simple verse from Moses, I think, presents a, a powerful and important question. Will we accept our humanness, our finitude? Will we in humility admit that we are not the main characters of this story? Um, it, it reminds me a little bit as Moses uh, gives them this, his final words, this verse, uh, a great coach who's trying to help the rest of the team recognize, you know, you're not LeBron James, you're not Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, whoever your goat is, right? What does it look like for you to, to, to believe that this person, you have a role next to this person? Um, that there's a freedom for us to, to know that God is God, and therefore his invitation to join him in his kingdom work. Uh, there's something we can rest in in his bigness, his goodness. You can labor to grow knowing that someone stands behind you who knows you and acts in ways that you can't understand or fully comprehend, and yet he is for you in Jesus. There's something good and sweet about God's mystery. And I, I, something that strikes me about this verse especially is the way in which at the very moment that Moses points the people of Israel to the knowledge that is theirs, at the very same time he reminds them of one of the greatest truths in the universe that should point to humility. At the very same time, he says, see the treasure that God has given you. See the things that God reveals you. He starts off by saying, know that there are secret things that are not yours. An invitation to humility and graciousness. And I think, especially in our current moment, what a countercultural idea. In the land of punditry and polemics and social media arguments where it often feels like we have to position ourselves as if we know everything, as if everything is clear. What a beautiful reminder that there are secret things that belong to the Lord our God. But as for the things that God gives us, the ordinary ways that he cares for us, God is caring for his people through his word. I think that's the second thing, that we rest in the mystery. And when we rest in the mystery, it allows us to focus on what God does give us. And this, this is the other thing that I think just astounds me about this passage, right? There's so much leading up to this moment that is supernatural, that is miraculous. These people have been living on manna from heaven. Uh, perhaps as children, some of them witnessed the great acts in Egypt, they've certainly heard firsthand about them. They have witnessed incredible, powerful things. And yet, that is not the ordinary, regular, 
way in which God is going to care for his people. And Moses needs them to understand that. You know, earlier this semester, talking about Exodus, uh, walking through the Exodus with students, I could be wrong, but I don't think I had any students go outside and try and call down manna from heaven. Uh, wouldn't be too shocking if, if I had a few of those. Uh, we didn't have anyone calling down plagues upon their enemies. Uh, no one was praying for a pillar of fire so they could study through the night. Uh, I think there was an understanding, right? This is not the way that God normally works in the world, even though sometimes we, we long to see those things. And yet God cares so much more about being with his people than just simply amazing us for a time. Um, I, I think sometimes the way we, we long for God to just do big things in our lives, it's like longing for a big concert, longing for a live concert versus actually getting to listen to the music every day. I put the question before the students, right? Would you rather be able to go to this concert or listen to the music, uh, you know, Spotify, 8-track, whatever you want to do? And it's interesting because I think for a lot of us, the reason we want to go to the concert is because we've maybe become familiar with the music. Like, we have a favorite artist. Like, would you be as excited about going to the live concert if you didn't have a favorite artist, if you didn't know their music? And then if you couldn't listen to it ever again, right? It might seem like, wow, the chance to go be at the front row, Beyonce, whatever our students would want to go listen to that I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> That would be amazing to be in that crowd and be a part of that experience. And yet the power of actually being able to carry it with you and listen to it and sing to it in the car and it become a part of your life. Right? God doesn't want you to just be amazed. He wants to daily walk with you. He wants you to, to, to listen at the gates as we, we read earlier this, in this service daily and find him and be with him one of the themes we, we saw in exodus that is a theme throughout the bible is the desire of god to be with his people that's that's perhaps god's favorite preposition to be with he longs to be with us just like in our relationships one of the most powerful ways we do that is through our voices to know and be known to speak to each other, that he longs for us to see him in fullness. And that's what's so beautiful about Jesus. Right? The author of Hebrews, the beginning of chapter 1, that God has spoken in so many ways, but now he has finally spoken through his very son. He has revealed himself, the very image of God, through Jesus Christ. The things that are revealed belong to us. God reveals himself in love so that he can be with his people. Um, he doesn't just want to be your quick crush across the room. He wants to take you in the covenant of marriage. You are his bride, church. And he wants his bride to hear his voice. And I just, it's something that I need to be reminded of frequently. Um, that every time I open up God's word, no matter how I feel about it, now, no matter how hard or strange that reading might be, no matter how disorganized or difficult to follow the sermon might be, God is speaking to his people. His spirit is working to reveal God's heart. He is intent on being with his people. And I, it's, I think it's one of the reasons why we 
we see Jesus make this crazy statement, at least it seems crazy to me, that it's better for his disciples for him to leave. Right? When you read that, isn't that one of those moments where you're just like, wait, 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 hold on a second. It's really, Jesus, it's better if you leave the God of the universe incarnate right beside me. But no, he says, you need the Holy Spirit. He's coming and he's going to reveal things to you. It's, it's the reason why we pray at the beginning of the sermon that God would be active because we need the Spirit at work in our hearts to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Because God is intent on the things that belong to his people being with us. Just as no one can snatch us from his hand, God will not allow us to be kept from his word, from what we need to hear about his love for us and his redemption. And that gets us, I think, to our final point, and that's that believing that God gives us what we need, I think, is another way of seeing the invitation to trust, to faith, to repent and believe and to walk in newness of life. Um, Earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it's the Shema, the great verse that Jesus quotes as the greatest law, commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength. But I think a question that we have to ask, and a question that I posed to the students was, what does it mean to love God as sinful people? What does it mean to love God as a rebellious people with the the heritage and history of seeking to take God's throne and my daily desires that often line up with that? Obviously, it always will involve repentance and faith. To love God as a rebellious person means we always have to be moving towards him in repentance. And that if we can't save ourselves, which God has demonstrated approximately a 10,000 times in his word to go with the million instances in my life, then it always is an invitation to, to trust and obey, to live and trust, and that God's law is always a mirror being held up to show us the many ways in which we need his grace at work and active in our lives. Um, but it's grace meant to lead to action, that these things that are revealed that lead us to repentance, that remind us of God's redemption, that remind us of his grace and mercy, that by God's grace he leads us to a place that we may do all the words of this law. Um, God's grace isn't meant to be the boring end to the struggle, it's meant to be the beginning of the struggle. And I remember as a student, uh, it was either freshman or sophomore year, because it was my, my first uh, RUF intern over me, uh, Taylor Leachman, helping me recognize that so much of my disappointment with myself and my struggle, I was kind of thinking about it wrong. I remember as a college student just thinking like, how am I still struggling with these things? How am I still failing in these same ways? And I I remember just over lunch, Taylor pointing out to me that, that oftentimes we think of Christianity as the end of the struggle rather than the beginning. That if I just have enough faith, if I just believe, then all these things will stop happening. I'll stop struggling. But he pointed me to that, that beautiful picture of Um, coming from death to life and asking that question, right? How much does a dead man actually struggle? How much life in fight is there in someone who is a slave to sin? And he pointed out that that the, the, the profound truth that Christianity isn't the end of the struggle, but the beginning that we are made holy in Jesus. And then he turns to us and says, now go and be holy as your father in heaven is holy. 
and I hear the same words being spoken through Moses. That the people having witnessed God's redemption and having been a part of rebellion over and over again and in need of grace and mercy are being reminded yet again that they may act and do by the grace of God alone. But it invites in us, doesn't it, the question, will we walk humbly in repentance? Will we think about the ways in which we must change to do all of these words of this law? Once again, I think we find ourselves at a fairly countercultural moment in this passage. Because I think, once again, especially, I think the election brings out the worst in this, because there's so much demonizing of the opposition. There's so much polemical uh, debate, if you want to call it that. There's a lot of energy put into how others need to change. There's a lot of energy put into the culture at this moment, into how wrong the other side is. And yet when Moses speaks to God's people, even as they're about to go into a land full of lots of evil people, people that the Lord has decided it's time for them to experience judgment, the word that they receive is about the ways in which they can change. That the revealed things belong to them, and it is they, as God's people, who must learn to walk in love and humility, to love the Lord their God with all their hearts and their neighbors as themselves. Part of the purpose of us seeing this simple truth this morning about God telling us that what we need to know is, is not just so that we would change by God's grace in and of ourselves, but that we through faith might help other, others to see God's goodness and love. Um, it's such a humbling and perhaps scary thing as a parent to see that our children are tagged onto this. Perhaps some of us on our worst days would rather not have our children there when we think about our failures, our anger in parenting. But there's a, there's a multi-generational view to this, isn't there? There's a communal view to this, that once again, God's redemption is not just about individuals, but those individuals together being a people of God. And a loving of God that, that, that doesn't stop with our own lives, but carries on to the next generation, that expands outward to neighbors and co-workers, that we are invited into the kingdom work of God even in the simple way in which he reveals things to his people that we then carry out into the world. Brothers and sisters, the revealed things of the Lord belong to you in Jesus, but they are not yours to hoard or hide. Um, you have, as Jesus reminds us, a light that needs to shine you have neighbors that desperately need to hear the words of hope and life that are yours in Jesus. They're yours to share and point to, even as others are looking to, to, to men and systems and governments that will fail and fade while our king stands forever. And so would you hear that invitation even this morning to turn to God's word, to see the inheritance that is yours in Jesus and to humbly seek not just to follow that word as you follow Jesus, but to invite others into the goodness and the blessing of a God who speaks, who reveals what we need, and yet who is still the mysterious, all-knowing creator of the universe. You have everything you need in him. Let's pray.
Father, we just uh, confess anew your goodness to us. Um, and that we serve a God who loves to speak. Who does not stay on high and aloof, but stoops down to his creatures, stoops down to a rebellious people, and speaks words of life. And Father, would you help us to see the grace this morning that you offer to us in recognizing the many things we do not know, the secret things that are yours, and the grace that is offered to us in the things that you do speak and reveal, especially and most clearly through the person and work of Jesus. Father, as we cling to him, would you lead us in obedience to your word that is a blessing to the nations and an invitation to those nations that more and more would come and bow the knee to Jesus for the promise is ours and for our children and for all those far off who would believe. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.